Welcome to LifeBridge Online. As you listen to this, it is a few days past Thanksgiving, and I hope and I've certainly prayed that, that you had a wonderful time with family, that you were able to stay COVID-free during the gatherings of, of family and friends and uh, just meeting with one another to offer thanks. Uh, even with the pandemic going on, even with what 2020 has become, there's so much for us to be thankful for. And I'm hoping that you had a wonderful time. Uh, I know that Amanda and I are grateful that we were able to get away for the week. Uh, we were able to be with family over in Georgia. And we're, we are appreciative of that time off. I uh, want to give you a quick update on life groups. Uh, since it is after Thanksgiving, we're moving into the Christmas season. Our life groups are going to come to an end uh, by the third week or so of December. We want to break several days before Christmas and then they will kick back off uh, the second Sunday of January. There's going to be a little different look to them. There's going to be a little different feel as we are doing a church-wide campaign that we will be unveiling to you uh, in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for all of that. <clears throat> so last week when I was out of town, uh, we kicked off the final sermon series of the calendar year. And this series is a conclusion to what much of this year has been about, and that is spiritual disciplines. The year has been spent around this idea that we can focus on certain disciplines, we can add these disciplines to our life, and in doing so, we will mature. We will draw closer to God. And as this happens, we will become more like Jesus, which is what God wants for all of us. It's, it's not just about this journey of gaining eternal life, which is the most important thing for all of us. It's also about in this world, as we live day to day, moment to moment, as people come into our worlds and as we come into the worlds of other people, we become more like Jesus. And, and it doesn't just happen. God just doesn't sprinkle some pixie dust on us and all of a sudden, boof, poof, we, we become like Jesus. It's, it's this journey. It's this process. And spiritual disciplines are a part of it. Now, the Bible is, is full of disciplines. Um, 16 that most scholars agree upon. Uh, last week, if you listened to that, Mike gave you the list and we're going to make this list available through our social media platforms. So you can kind of glance over and look at the 16 different disciplines that most scholars agree upon. A couple of resources when it comes to uh, spiritual disciplines. The author Richard Foster has a great work. Um, it's Celebration of Disciplines. Uh, Dallas Willard, who discipled, uh, was discipled by Richard Foster, also has a, a book on spiritual disciplines. And so you can look at those and, and you can see, uh, you can learn a lot about these 16. We're not going to cover all 16 during the sermon series. We're going to hit on four or five that uh, we have, uh, our sermon team has talked about. And we're basing it off of one particular verse. You know, Paul discipled Timothy. And as he's discipling him, he encourages Timothy to discipline himself. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. It says, Have nothing to do with 
irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Spiritual disciplines, and, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do here. He's instructing him to train himself to develop these disciplines uh, for godliness because they will bring benefit to your life right now and in the life to come. So spiritual disciplines, as, as we talk about it, I know Mike talked about this some last week. Spiritual disciplines are habits. They're practices. They're, they're experiences designed to help grow or strengthen a person spiritually. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen automatically. You know, I, I, I've demonstrated that you can grow physically by just doing a few things. You, you can have food, oxygen, water, um, and, and your body's going to grow. It's just naturally going to grow. Well, spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. You, you have to feed it. It has to be trained. There's things that have to take place. And so God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life. And as he's given these things as a means of receiving his grace, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he could transform us. That's what the spiritual disciplines are about. They are about us coming before God so that he can transform us. A lot of the spiritual disciplines, like any exercise, have to do with us saying no to self. Think of it this way when it comes to wrapping our mind around what spiritual disciplines are. A farmer is helpless to grow grain, and I read this somewhere. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. I hope you have that desire in your life today. I hope you desire for the something to be done in your life spiritually. Last week, Mike did a great job of, of teaching about the, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, of course, that's taken from the, the one of the all-time favorite Christmas movies, and that's A Christmas Vacation. And no, Mike didn't teach us about the Jelly of the Month Club, okay? But he taught us about gratitude, and I appreciate what he had to say. And here's the thing with gratitude. Gratitude changes our perspective of any situation we are in. I, I'm not going to go into details here, but I, the timing of that very thought last week as Amanda and I got away um, was impactful. It, it meant a lot to us. Gratitude changes our perspective of any situation we are in. It deflects off of what we are going through to how great God is. No matter what we are going through, when gratitude is prevalent, 
or when gratitude is a prevalent discipline, we have a better perspective of God. Well, now that Thanksgiving is officially behind us, it's the Christmas season. Uh, so we're going to be incorporating segments of the Christmas story into our teachings of the disciplines that we'll be talking about. So in your Bibles, on your devices, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read this part of the Christmas story, and we're going to see how this spiritual discipline plays a small part. Uh, as all the disciplines we talk about do within the Christmas story. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when... Excuse me here. <laughs> this was the first registration when... Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's our excerpt from the Christmas story. Today's spiritual discipline, which is demonstrated in the story of the birth of Jesus, it is one that, that most likely is going to step on some toes. It, it, it's one of those disciplines that's like, Oh, you know, I agree with it, and I know, I know it's there. I know it's part of God's economy, but oh my goodness. And it's really going to be uh, somewhat um, uh, offensive, maybe, if you want to take it that way, during this time of year where the spirit of giving, where the spirit of purchasing things, where the spirit of, of go, 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 and be with family, when all of that is, is, is taking place, then there's this spiritual discipline. And it's the discipline of simplicity. Now, you're not going to find scripture that says, thou shalt practice simplicity. However, there is certain evidence in scripture that alludes to living within meager means that supports this discipline. And we're going to get to the Bible side of this in, in just a moment. In the meantime, let's talk about what the discipline of simplicity is. Richard Foster describes it like this. The inward reality of single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which result in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, in which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury, right? He goes on and he says that, hey, you know, we live in this world, but our hearts and our minds are to be citizens of God's kingdom, which has a much different value system than what we experience every single day. The discipline of simplicity allows us to live in freedom from things that clamor for our attention 
but do not fill our souls. That, that, that right there is what the spirit of, uh, or the discipline of simplicity is about. It allows you and I to live in freedom from things that clamor for our attention, our time, but do not fulfill our souls. The discipline calls us to remember that our identity is in Christ and to put him above everything else. Simplicity is ordering our life, if you will, around a few consistent God-desiring purposes and excluding what is not necessary to living as Jesus would live our lives. I want to say that again so you kind of wrap your minds around this. Simplicity is ordering our life. It's ordering our life around a few consistent God-desiring purposes. And it's excluding what is not necessary to living our lives as Jesus would live our lives. It's getting rid of everything else that is not needed to fulfill the purposes that God has for our life. Simplicity is an inward reality that becomes an outward lifestyle. This is being by this is being by practiced by the secular world better than Christ followers. I want you to think about that. You know the show Tiny Homes. Uh, there's this movement in in the secular world that it's let's live as minimalist. Let's live with as little as we can possibly live with. And, and, and we will not just survive in this world, but we can thrive because of our simple lifestyle. Now, there's a legitimate first world problem that, that you and I face. And of course, this is from God's perspective, not so much the world. And the, the problem is that, is that our affluence allows us to have more and do more than any other culture in the world. We fill our days with activities and stuff that requires our time and our money. And that's a real first world problem. Our affluence gives us so much freedom and so much opportunity that we, as the devil says, if I can't make you bad, I'll make you busy. We take every opportunity to fill every minute of the day with activities that require time and require money. I'll never forget the time that I asked Pastor Isaac at the Church of Christ in Mashoko, Zimbabwe, what he liked to do in his spare time. He didn't know what I was talking about. What, what do you mean, spare time? So, so I asked him, do you have any hobbies? You know, things that when you're not working, do you have any hobbies that you like to do for enjoyment? And once again, I had to try to explain to him what a hobby is. And his response was convicting. He told me, when we are not working for God, we are working to feed our family. We don't spend energy on recreation. I got to thinking about it. Our culture and my life in particular is so very different. You think about it. The average American works 50 to 55 hours a week. Another 45 to 50 hours goes into sleeping and, and, and getting ready for, for rest. We then fill the vast majority 
of remaining time on us with kids activities, um, hobbies, ball games, whatever it is, almost one third of our time is spent committed to doing something on us about us. Do you know the number one excuse as we talk about discipleship at LifeBridge a lot, we live this out. Do you know the number one excuse I get for people not making disciples? Which, oh, by the way, is one of the general purposes that God has for all of us. The number one excuse I get for not living out God's purposes is I do not have the time. I believe that people crave a simpler life. I believe that people want less chaos in their life. We want the freedom that the discipline of simplicity provides. We just don't know how to achieve it. We get caught up in keeping up with the world around us. We see our neighbors and they have new things and we feel the pressure to have new things. Our kids want new things because their peers have new things. And as parents, we want them to have a better life. So we do everything we can to give them the things that we didn't have growing up. We see that our neighbors go places or they're involved in activities. And we feel the pressure that we also have to give in just because the world around us is engaged in these things. We desire a simpler life. We just don't know how to do it. So how do we develop the discipline of simplicity? How do we develop this discipline of simplicity when everything in the world emphasizes lavished living? Well, like learning any new skill or physical discipline, it takes time and practice to perfect the discipline. It doesn't just happen. It takes a plan, not just a goal of saying, hey, I want to I develop the discipline of simplicity. There has to be a system in place that helps us achieve the goal. And so I want to give you three steps to begin you on the journey of developing the discipline of simplicity. The first is this. You have to see the need for it in your life. You know, if, if you're listening to this today and you think that simplicity is some made-up, feel-good life philosophy, then you will never desire uh, to develop it in your life. It's just, it's not going to happen. If you don't see the need for it, if you don't see how it will benefit you, you're never going want to want to develop it. So a couple of questions to think through. If you see the need, one, do do you really do you really feel as though you are fulfilling God's general purposes for your life? How would you answer that question? Are you fulfilling God's general purposes? Do you even know what God's general purposes for your life are? Do you feel overwhelmed with all that your current life has become? And maybe there's family issues that, that you're dealing with on top of work issues. Maybe there is job stress that is leading to family issues. 
Maybe there's just this overabundance of I am committed to so many different things and I have my hand in the pot of so many different things that I am overwhelmed. Do you feel overwhelmed right now? Do you have anxiety in your life? If you answered these truthfully, I want to encourage you with the words that Jesus says. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. J Jesus, in this passage, is talking about reordering your private world, putting priorities in their place. And he's going to say to you, as you're feeling overwhelmed, as there's anxiety in your life, as you're, you're feeling the pressures of everything going on in your world right now, he says, stop. Come to me. If, if you're tired, not, not just sleepy, but you're overwhelmed with the stresses of this world. He says, come to me and learn from me. My way of doing things is simpler. It's easier. My yoke is better for you than what you currently have. It's easy to bear. And I promise you, the yoke of Jesus centers on simplifying your life so that your priorities can be in order. So the first thing is to see the need to develop the discipline of simplicity. The second one that you need to understand is that contentment is key. Contentment is part of this process of becoming uh, and living a simpler life. We must learn to be content with what we have. Again, Paul instructs Timothy as he disciples him in, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a great advantage to your life, Timothy, if you can just learn to become content. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You can take out the word rich here and, and, and you, you can put in stuff. Those who desire for more things, those who desire to, to be involved, a cluttered, hectic, chaotic life. He goes, if you desire those things, you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Contentment is key to living a simplistic life. Contentment helps us realize that joy does not come from material possessions. 
more clothing, a new car, a better whatever it is that you're desiring does not lead to joy. You take what we talked about last week with gratitude. Gratitude and contentment go hand in hand and they help you experience joy. And as life becomes decluttered from stuff and commitment, joy begins to happen more and more often in your life. Hey, the third thing I want to share with you about developing the spiritual discipline of simplicity is learning to say no. Learning to say no to materialism. Learn to say no to unneeded items. Now, now this doesn't mean, well, I may need that purchase one day, so I'm going to go ahead and get it now. No, no, no. You have to say no to unneeded items in your life. You know, the Sykes's are on a stretch run of six consecutive months with at least $400 each month in car repair. It, it, it's been a run unlike I have ever experienced. We have, we have three aging cars. The, the, the newest is an 07 Camry, and it has 175,000 miles on it. And we have just hit a stretch run where, man, it's repair after repair after repair. And there have been several days, especially the last two months, where I have felt the need to just, let's just go upgrade two vehicles. Let's just take our best vehicle that we have and give it to Griffin, and then we'll just we'll, we'll go upgrade, get something. Don't go off the deep end, but we're going to upgrade vehicles so that we can quit doing this. I've, I've wanted to do this. I've talked myself, uh, I've tried to talk myself into it. But here's the, the truth do I really need a new vehicle when the repairs keep the vehicles going? Every single time we've been able to change something out on a vehicle and gets back onto the road and it's working just fine. Do I really need a vehicle? Well, the worldly part of Michael says, yeah, you do, because we're tired of this. Do my kids, do my kids really need the third gaming system? Do they really need eight sets of pajamas? Do they really need you insert it there? When we start saying no to unneeded items, we start uh, to, to lessen the clutter in our lives that, that causes anxiety. When we start saying no to the things that we don't need, we start to lessen the clutter, the stuff in our world that causes anxiety. You're like, well, my stuff doesn't cause anxiety. Do you have enough room in your closets right now for all your clothes? I know a lot of people that don't. Do, do you have so much stuff that you have shelves and closets and and cabinets full of, of knickknacks, drawers full of knickknacks. 
It, it all causes stress because these things start to pile up and you got to figure out how to work it and where to put it and how you're going to deal with it. And, and, and we have to shuffle things around. I, I know in our world, you know, we moved earlier this year. It was great. It was a great opportunity for us to cleanse and get rid of things and only bring with us the stuff that we genuine, genuinely need. The second thing we need to start saying no to is we need to learn to say no to the demands on our time. Time is our most precious commodity. And we must learn to have balance between necessary commitments and our free time. If I'm filling my free time and I'm making it all about me and the activities that I want and all the stuff for my kids, am I fulfilling God's general purposes for my life. If, if I'm filling my free time with so much stuff, am I really fulfilling God's purposes for my life? We cannot and do not have to participate in every single opportunity available to us. We must have balance when it comes to our calendars, and this happens when we start saying no. Oh, but is it Christian to say no? I'm giving of self to be involved in this. Now, that's a matter of prayer between you and the Lord and what he really wants for your life. But I know that there's a lot of activities that we get locked in, that we get engaged in, and we, we just do it because we want to be involved. And the truth is we have to start saying no. And you don't have to feel guilty about saying no. So three things for you to develop the spiritual discipline of simplicity. One, you got to see the need in your life. Think through the questions. You got to understand that contentment is key. And then the third thing, we've got to learn to say no. You know, at the beginning of COVID, I find this interesting. At the beginning of COVID, back in March, there was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there was increased worry. As a nation, we were forced into a simpler life. Most didn't know how to react. <laughs> I remember talking with, with family after family, and they're like, man, we're, we're setting records with the number of consecutive meals that we've eaten with family at home. We've had to wash more dishes during the month of March and April and May than, than, than we've had to in the previous three years. But as a result of this forced, simpler life, most every person I talked to admitted and confessed to me that they were reading and they were being involved in the Word of God more. Families were doing Bible studies together on a more consistent basis. Families were having church together with one another with less fighting too. And in the midst of an unfamiliar pandemic, there was a sense of peace and calm because people did less and had more time to focus on what really matters. Time with God. We were forced into several months of a simpler life. And the outcome of that was a sense of peace, a sense of calm. 
because we were able to focus on what really mattered. And that's time with God. To bring this back to our Christmas story, the entire Christmas story has this undertone of simplicity. God ordained, he had this planned, and how his son was going to arrive into the world. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, came in an unexpected manner. It was not the normal birth story. There was not the traditional gathering of family and friends to support Mary, to congratulate Joseph. God desired for the birth of his son to be very simple in nature. As a matter of fact, it was simpler than most you and I would ever dream up. And as the Christmas story unfolds in the weeks to come, we will see that with the simplicity of this event, the simplicity of the real reason of Christmas, only God was glorified. And so church, I, I ask you as we wrap this up, as you celebrate Christmas this season, can you say that? Can you say that during your celebrations that only God will be glorified? Or will God be lost in the chaos of the what and how we celebrate the birth of our Savior? Until next week, we'll see you.